live from the Salvation Army National Headquarters, this is the Fight for Good podcast. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fight for Good podcast. I'm your host, Lieutenant Colonel Tim Foley, broadcasting from our national headquarters of the Salvation Army in the United States of America in Alexandria, Virginia. With me today, as always, is our Warcry editorial director, Mr. Jeff McDonald. Greetings, Colonel Foley. So good to be with you today. And things are well with you, sir, I take it? Very well. Very well. We're, you know, still working remotely after a long siege of it, but still, thanks to technology and our commitment to doing the most good, we are managing quite well. For the the listeners and for the historical record, we are recording this uh, on the first day of March in 2021, and we're just about two weeks away from our uh our year anniversary, not, I know it's not an anniversary, but we departed the building a year ago and our entire uh, production team of uh, our magazines and books has not all been together physically in the same place uh, since mid-March of 2021. And it's, uh, Jeff, I was thinking about that today as something I, I really kind of mourn. I, I, I miss that uh, immensely. I think, I mean, that's, nothing new. I think all of us do. Uh, but it has been amazing to me, again, how the team is pulled together and continues to pull together uh, the the mental energy and the creative uh, spirits that we have with our, our team. And, and my hat goes off continually to you for your leadership. Well, thank you, Colonel. And it's, you know, that's throughout the Army. I mean, the commitment of people to the mission is just uh, invaluable. Also, our tech, te- the technology has uh, increased or changed or altered or whatever made life easier for our producer, Elizabeth, in putting together these podcasts. Hasn't it, Elizabeth? It's been lovely. In, in fact, I'm, we're sitting here now as we're broadcasting. We're, we're looking at each other uh, on like we're in each other's offices, but we use a software platform called Zencaster and they've developed it so that there's the video technology. But Elizabeth, I'm looking over to my right here and I'm seeing that little mixing board you used to use. Yes, the mixing board. I, I kind of get a feeling we're never going to go back to that. Am I correct? I think it can be like, like a trophy of the past. It, it, it could well, be. I mean, antiquated. that was obsolescence. Talk about <laughs> obsolescence, man. I, that was it's quick. Lovely though, like a doorstop or something. It it, it is, but uh, it's it's just amazing how far we've come in a year, and also how our fight for good podcast is uh, grown in content. Um, it's it's been reduced in size a little bit. We try to be a little more uh, mindful for that, but uh, we thank our listeners for taking a few moments uh, with us today. And we uh, have with us today uh, just somebody I admire and I've, I've come to know since I arrived here uh, two years ago at National Headquarters with my wife, but, uh, and I happened to work with his wife because his wife is the Assistant National Secretary for Program. Lieutenant Colonel Jackie Bowers. And so with us today 
is Lieutenant Colonel Tom Bowers, who is the National Secretary of SASO. And Tom, I almost said SWASO. Swacho. 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 But uh, Colonel Bowers, we're so thankful. Thank you for taking a few moments to join us today with the Fight for Good podcast. And why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and, and what is it you do here at National Headquarters? Well, it's great to be with you today. Appreciate the opportunity to talk a little bit about SASO and the important work that we're doing. Just a little bit about my own background. Uh, my wife and I are finishing up our, 40th, our 43rd year as Salvation Army officers. And part of our appointment here at National Headquarters, all of our appointments have been in the central territory of the United States, the 11 uh, central states. Uh, we've had the privilege of serving at all the various levels. Uh, been in three different corps, spanning about 13 years. Served at divisional headquarters, uh, different appointments. I was appointed as divisional youth and candidate secretary in Eastern Michigan, and the divisional, divisional secretary in St. Louis, and general secretary in Chicago, as well as the uh, Chicago area coordinator there. Divisional commander in uh, Western Michigan, Northern Indiana. So, uh, been been pretty well spread out there. That it was there in uh, WMNI in the Western Michigan, Northern Indiana division. I had the privilege of actually opening, being a part of opening two Croc centers. I know you're familiar with. And that was after we had uh, spent six years working on the one in Chicago. So we've had our uh, exciting days with the Crocs. But right now we've also served at territorial headquarters. It's uh, a territorial uh, boys work director and uh, divisional youth and can- or territorial youth and candidate secretary. And then later on at THQ, I served as the community relations and development secretary. And that's where I really got my first dip into the uh, my toe into that international development arena. Uh, for about six years, I had the privilege of working with territorial leadership in Nigeria uh, to assist them in, as they began their journey into financial independence. Uh, and that's where it was there that uh, God began to uh, he put that flame in my heart, uh, sparked that flame and began a process of crafting a vision that actually led to the very work that I'm doing today. It's really amazing how God works through all of those various different appointments that we've had. Just a little bit about us, my background. To be honest with you, uh, most people have no clue what SOSO does. They heard the name. You were referring earlier and joking a little bit about SOSO because it is mispronounced a lot. Uh, SOSO is the Salvation Army World Service Office. Uh, and we're an international development organization, an INGO, international non-governmental organization. And our mission is very much the same as the International Mission of the Salvation Army, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to meet human need in his name without discrimination. And our purpose in SOSO, the very reason for our existence, uh, really is to support and represent the international development interest of the Salvation Army in America. We're here to serve the four U.S. territories and national leadership uh, in, our Salvation, in their Salvation Army interest overseas. And uh, most of the funds, you know, that would flow from America to our Salvation Army work overseas would flow through our office. So it's an exciting place to be and many opportunities to uh, uh, to serve our, our comrades in other parts of the world. One of the things that we're trying to do through our Fight for Good podcast is, you know, give our listeners and give new people to the Salvation Army a, an understanding and, and maybe correct some misinformation out there about uh, the ins and outs of how national headquarters works. I often use the metaphor that national headquarters is, is the Switzerland of the Salvation Army. We're not a territory. 
We don't have any power. We're here to resource. And a lot of officers don't really know. I mean, they've heard about SASO and they, they know about world services and where we raise money on the voluntarily on the local level to support the worldwide work of the Salvation Army. But tell our listeners a little bit, what, what happens to that dollar that's donated that makes its way to SASO? Could you give us like an example uh, in recent days, uh, before let's talk before the pandemic. Where, where, where do those dollars go? Well, it's interesting because you you, you mentioned uh, the internal fundraising efforts of the Salvation Army, the denomination, the World Services. You referred to World Services. That's kind of like the missionary fund for other denomination, and that that's handled a certain way. And the territories have an awful lot of control of, about where that goes and how that's used. It simply flows through our office. And occasionally they'll ask us to get involved in providing technical support uh, in those situations. But uh, the fun- then there's a whole other set of funding that really comes from the American public, oftentimes uh, through uh, a major international disaster incident that would occur. Uh, the generosity of the American public just kicks in and, and all the dollars that are collected in America that are sent to us, a local Salvation Army unit will flow up through the chain and come to Sasso, who is charged with the responsibility of, of working with international headquarters and the affected areas to program out those dollars. And I would say that one of the things we're very, very blessed and, and proud of is that every dollar that is received from the general public, 100% goes to the affected area to provide programs in that affected area. Our overhead costs in Sasso are uh, covered in other ways. We're very blessed to have a a nice operating endowment, and basically our operational costs are covered through that endowment. So pretty much every dollar that comes in goes right out uh, to the intended purpose that the donor would like. I don't know if that's helpful with the the uh, uh, the way those donations are used, but the the World Services dollars is in combination of going. And that's the again the missionary type funds goes in combination to part of it with international headquarters and just some of the uh, the basic costs that they have in in helping support. Uh, territories and their operations and some of the the areas where there's just a financial need for that. They can't support themselves. Uh, so, And then there's others where it's more project focused, where we call a mission support, where they, the territories are, are kind of put in their wish list to international headquarters and, and donor offices like uh, our territories, like SOSO, are able to contribute to that and, and basically uh, help them with some of the projects that they have. So it's, it's a little bit different, the internal versus external, but the good news is it's all going 100% over uh, to serve the, uh, the people that need it most. My understanding is that in addition to that whole funding labyrinth that you managed to control take and contribute to, that SOSO handles projects also independently. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I I know that the army is now at work in 131 countries. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you are your staff, which is you know, quite extensive, is pretty heavily involved in the army's different five zones. Um, so, could you give us an idea of some of the projects uh, that you're that SOSO is involved in, and also what is the philosophy behind those projects? Well, being a, an international development organization, one of the things that, uh, and one, one of the ways and methods in which we approach our work is uh, we don't go in and do f- for our, our uh, Salvation Army uh, comrades. 
we, we basically come alongside of them and support them in their effort to do the projects in their communities and in, in the way they see the need. And, and our job is basically supporting them through technical support, through resources, uh, through any other type of uh, support that we can pro provide them. SOSO is involved in, in a lot of projects. We, we basically average over 200 projects at any given time in uh, more than 60 countries. Uh, the total value of those projects exceeds $60 million. Uh, it's a tremendous amount of, uh, of opportunity for us to make an impact around the Army world. Uh, and most of our, our programs are, uh, while we don't limit the kind of projects we do, most of them fall under one of our sectors. And our sectors would be disaster response, uh, education programs, health, uh, anti-human trafficking, livelihoods, uh, livelihoods being helping people to actually be able to sustain themselves, finding work, uh, helping build capacity, uh, providing resources so they can get to the point where they can uh, take care of themselves. Agriculture is another sector and business and economic development. So most of our projects fall within uh, one of those sectors. A lot of people wonder what we actually do, and, and we work together with the, our partners on the ground uh, to help program and project uh, development. Uh, we, with every project that we have, we have a technical advisor that's been assigned and a, and a uh, project accountant that's assigned uh, that give attention to that project. Uh, we identify and assist in securing resources, uh, develop and facilitate training, uh, collaborate and monitor and evaluation, and it's, uh, assist as well in documenting and sharing best practices and lessons learned. So it's a, it's a wide array. We do have about 20 on our staff, half of which are what I would call our technical advisors. They're the ones that are the real experts with master's and doctorate degrees. They understand what it means uh, to, to work in the international development uh, arena. Uh, we, we don't go into a territory or to one of our partner countries and, and, and try to tell them what to do. We, we basically go in with the question, what can we do to be helpful? What is it that we, that we might be able to assist you with? And, and learn together with them uh, how to meet the needs in, in their communities that they're serving. Hmm. You know, Colonel Foley, I, th you know, I know that one of the attributes of the Army is that the extensive network of the Army in the nation and worldwide is that we're on the, the Army's on the ground and in the culture and in the community so that when SOSO comes alongside them, they're working with often um, local people, uh, local and partnering with other organizations to help people really become, s move towards self-sufficiency. And, you know, we get to publish some of those articles and they're just remarkable, those projects. Yeah, we like to cover a lot of things, Colonel Tom, that you're, you and your team are doing around the world. And I know personally, uh, having the privilege of uh, visiting in developing countries and uh, recently, if you want to say recently, uh, about 15 months ago, I was able to see how uh, your office is supporting the work in Indonesia. Uh, Indonesia is a country that is almost the same size as America. And it's, it's very interesting. It was interesting to talk with the, the local Salvation Army officers assigned there, how they work with your office, uh, you know, back in, in Washington, D.C. in those moments. I'm wondering what what has been some of the challenges that you have faced with your team uh, during this pandemic uh, time? Well, it's very difficult because uh, such a big part of what our team does is they go out on the front line and uh, 
are able to be shoulder to shoulder with people that we're, we're serving. It's difficult and everything now is being done remotely. There's no international travel. Been a moratorium on that. Uh, it is amazing what you can get done through technology, through the internet, but, but remember many of the places where our projects are, they do not have that technology. Um, and all the territorial headquarters that we work with, we do have, but it's just a little bit more difficult, uh, considerably more difficult actually. And, and probably even more than that in the way it's affected SASO, it's the way it's affected our, our, our partners on the ground because they have been so focused on our projects and their projects and working together. But when COVID hit, all those things just went into neutral and, and their 100% of their focus became survival. Let's deal with the COVID issue. What can we do? And we were uh, trying to provide resources and, and technical support. Uh, and everybody was kind of focused on COVID. So it's really slowed a lot of our, our progress down in some of the other projects. But uh, our team is anxious to get back out. We're looking forward to things clearing up. And I know that our, our partners on the ground are looking forward to that as well. There's only so much you can do. Uh, you really need to be able to look face to face, eyeball to eyeball, right there in context and uh, to, to do the best job. But uh, I'm really proud of our team. I think they're doing the best they can do under the circumstances. Looking back during your tenure of SASO, what are some things you're really proud that you and your about that you and your team have accomplished? Well, it's amazing. We've spent so much time in, in the recent uh, years trying to really develop our own capacity so we could serve even more. And in the process of doing that, we've we've more than doubled the number of projects that we're able to support, and uh, more more than doubled the amount of money that's actually being committed as well. And uh, we have been blessed in that way. And uh, right now, one of the challenges we're, we're wanting to hold ourselves accountable to is it's one thing to build quantity, but we need to make sure that we don't uh, negatively affect quality. So we are working with uh, one of our new initiatives this next year is, is uh, what we call our meal initiative. Meal meaning uh, monitoring, evaluation, accountability, and learning. And it's, it's quite extensive and our team has been under uh, a lot of, uh, I guess I'll call it pressure to try to do the very best they can in developing this new initiative. Uh, they're getting, they've all gone through some special training. Uh, they're working on uh, developing tools. Uh, they work with international, other international offices and developing performance indicators uh, that relate to the UN development goals. Uh, there's tools and trainings and resources that are being lined so they can fully implement uh, this new initiative. It's gonna have a tremendous impact on the quality of service. And while we, we don't believe that we've allowed our quality to, to go down, we, we don't believe we've necessarily increased our capacity there while we've increased in so many other ways. So we're really targeting that. We want to not only provide more programs, we want to provide the very best that we possibly can. Uh, so we're, we're really excited about that. Might not sound too exciting to the people on the outside, but for, for us international development folks, it's exciting stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. Given your perspective on the Army world, what would you like listeners to know about the International Salvation Army from your experience? We have phenomenal uh, people around the world. Salvation Army leadership, as I've gone into their offices and sat with them uh, and listened to them, I, I felt their their hearts cry and their passion. Uh, 
there are, there are people of vision and people that are spirit filled and, and, and really are the right people for where they're at. Uh, our challenge as we come in and work with them is how can we take advantage of that wisdom and experience. The indigenous leadership uh, knows so much that we don't know. There's so much that we need to learn to figure out ways that we can help even more than what we're doing now. One of the initiatives that we have right now is, uh, and it's something that started actually when we first arrived, I believe it was, uh, I, I believe it was God's intention of bringing us to, to Sasso with this, this new economic, business and economic development. Uh, capacity building partnership initiative is another name that we give it. It's basically going into a territory and sitting down with leadership and just starting a conversation. What can we do to help you get to that point of financial independence where you're no longer having to rely on mama bird, you know, to feed baby bird concept? You know, how can we do for ourselves? When you've been around for a hundred years in the country, you really don't need to be getting crumbs from above. And I don't mean to be, say that demeaningly. These are things that the leadership feels themselves. They're, they're tired of having to hold out their hand. And, and what we're trying to do is help them to discover ways, discover together uh, how we can find the resources within the country uh, through a, ver- a variety of different ways uh, to be able to sustain their operation independent of having to have uh, someone externally provide those resources for them. And they're all wanting to do that. And um, as, as I ask that question, what's it going to take to get to that point of financial independence? It's amazing the answers that we get. They all have ideas, brilliant ideas, uh, not ones that, that necessarily would automatically come to mind. And as we listen, uh, we, look, we, we listen to those that might sound the most intriguing. We, we, we continue to probe, ask deeper questions, uh, begin to think about the full implications of, of doing some of the things that they're talking about. And some of those ideas will rise to the surface and, and we'll begin to start talking about, okay, now how can we begin to, to provide some resources and actually plan, develop a strategy, a comprehensive strategy to be able to, to, to try that and just see if it works. Knowing full well that sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't, but either way we're going to learn in the process. Uh, and we, we, I cannot tell you how thrilled we are about the success of that initiative. We are seeing, uh, and project after project, territory after territory, becoming more and more empowered, feeling more and more uh, capable of doing for themselves. Uh, the simplest of things that, that uh, you, you would be just, uh, you, I think you'd all be blessed to, to see how, they're, how hard they're working and how well it is working. And I think God has, has ordained this and uh, we're looking for some, ex- continuing to look for exciting days ahead with minimal investment on our part we see how God is turning that around and, and bringing them to a, a deeper and closer walk towards financial independence. It's where they no longer have to ask, but to be able to provide. And God is, God is not bankrupt. You know, we do our part. He does his part. The key is trying to understand what our part is. And in the context where all you've ever done is put your hand out and wait for someone from, from some outside the country to help. That's what you, in a sense, have been trained to do. You've, been, you've been, uh, become accustomed to that. But now they're beginning to see that there are so many other ways that they could do. And there is, there, it's possible to raise funds. And in, in uh, some of the, in, all through Latin America, we're seeing that happen. Thrift stores are possible in some places, certain types of thrift stores. There are other kinds of investment. One of the things that we're seeing is 
is the Salvation Army in many parts of the world have tremendous land assets, but they're just completely undeveloped. Uh, and just, again, with, with the right kind of plan, the right kind of good thinking and, and appropriate investment, and, 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 and we see the, this iterative process of, of, of smaller investments growing into bigger, and, and pretty soon you can, you, you can just see by, when you get to the point where you're, I remember one thing that will always be in my mind, going to Kenya and, and talking to a, a young officer, they're just, just glowing. You look at his his uh, his face, and you could just see the joy of the Lord in his face, and he was just so on fire. And we were in the slums of Kibera, the Kibera slums, some of the worst slums in the world. And around Kibera, and, and there are literally thousands of people there. The Salvation Army has an unbelievable ministry, and a few core within the slum itself. What a ministry they have! But funding is always an issue, and all these people are are living in the slums for a reason. But then I looked around the walls of the slum and saw these factories. Many of the people who lived in the slums actually worked in the factory. I looked at this young captain. I said, have you ever thought about going into that factory and asking the business owner if he'd be willing to support your ministry here in Kibera? And he looked at me like, why in the world would I do that? And he actually said it. Well, why would I do that? He's got his own church. And it was he honestly did not realize that there's there's so much more going on than what a typical church is going on in, in Kibera. And, and there are people that have, that are willing to, to uh, contribute and support uh, the phenomenal ministries that are there. And uh, I look forward to the day where that young captain can say, could go in, have the courage to ask for that gift, to, to show uh, appropriate proposal that would that would satisfy a donor's concern, and walk out with the check, and and finally for the first time say, I can do this, I can do this, because in reality they can't, but we have to we have to help them uh, to to uh, begin to believe that that's possible and show them in any way that we can, and then they can show us things that they can do that that we would have no idea that they would be able to do in that context. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's exciting work to be a part of, but uh, I'm thrilled to, that we might have a be able to play a little part in in a territory's uh, journey towards financial independence. The pandemic has probably pushed a lot of these countries to thinking about uh, self sustainability, uh, whether they like to think of it of it or not. One of the things that I love about Sasso is the power of collaboration. Uh, you're you're not the only kid on the block in a lot of these countries, but the Salvation Army is in a lot of places where other NGOs, other Christian organizations kind of come to the Salvation Army as a conduit. I, I always think about all the fresh water initiatives, you know, especially when you, pick, when you pick a country like Kenya and the, the, the impact that the Salvation Army has on that, the education system in that country and a lot of different things is very, very interesting. You must be kind of thrilled to see all of this kind of collaboration occurring worldwide. It is, it is exciting to see the, uh, the donor offices working together and frankly, even uh, other NGOs begin to recognize the, uh, the breadth of, of the Salvation Army. Uh, in 131 countries, uh, the, the challenges that uh, we, we, we seem to be stretched very thin in some places. And there, 
it really comes down to capacity in so many ways. I mean, there are there are government dollars that could potentially be available, but that brings on a whole other set of challenges for our, our comrades on the front line, because with those government dollars comes tremendous accountability and, and uh, just the infrastructure necessary to be able to do some of those things uh, becomes difficult. So that's why so much of our focus is not just about project, but, but actually the building of capacity. Uh, that's why SALSA doesn't go in and just do for them. We go in and come alongside and help shore them up so they can learn to do for themselves. And then we can continue to provide the resources and, and they're on their own. It's, it's, uh, it's just another way of doing it. But you're, you're right, we, we are spread out there, 131 countries plus, and uh, it's very attractive to some other NGOs when they want to find a, uh, another partner to work with. Uh, we have a presence. Uh, some of the big corporations that we're working with, FedEx and UPS, and they get excited about the Salvation Army's footprint and uh, are able to take full advantage of the relationships that we share with them. And when it comes to a disaster time, especially we find the, those corporate partners stepping up and uh, making significant contributions to the to the cause and uh, make it possible to do so much more than what we otherwise be able to do. Yeah, you're talking about so many projects. I think of the nuclear meltdown in Japan that you responded to and helped, you know, revitalize the economy in some communities in Japan. Uh, what you did in uh, Southeast Asia after the tsunami. So those are big projects you handle, but also you handle microcredit efforts and, you know, small community-based efforts to help people become self-sufficient. So it's really amazing. I'm just curious what, you know, we, we know that our God is not limited to one culture. What do you see? How do you see God moving in different parts of the world these days? It's interesting that you would, uh, you would say that because when I first, uh, began this, this journey of international development work in Nigeria that I mentioned earlier. I went into that country and I could not believe the Salvation Army and either other churches were just on fire, just on fire. And the church was growing so rapidly. It seemed like every place we went, there was another congregation being introduced to us that was being birthed. And uh, they seemed, they looked at us Americans and, and, and their interest was the funds that we can bring to the table. And there were times, I got to be honest with you, Jeff, that I actually said to myself, why do I want to get so or talk so much about money and raising money and money, money, money? What they've got here is more than what we'd ever hope to have uh, in America. And we've had all the abundance that we have, but we don't have the, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the, and the, the power that's so obvious and, and the evangelism that's taking place and the church is on fire there. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to participate in some way that's going to, you know, distract from that by talking about money. <laughs> so we have to find that balance. And we have found that in so many places. The army is on fire in Africa and in India and so many places. Uh, and as a denomination, it's growing rapidly. And, and we praise God for that. And, and to be honest, I, I, uh, in contrast, we see the, the tremendous part that we play in America in being able to provide support around the army world such a large percentage of what is happening around the world is because of america's support and and we thank god for that and maybe that's our part right now in our history uh, because from a denominational vantage point well we got some exciting things going it's it's nothing nothing like what's going on overseas i was i was reading something recently where someone was kind of condemning 
this lecture talking about the business of the church and you know we need to go about soul saving etc cetera, etc cetera. and the guy was saying look the the church it's all about biology that we we are an organic body of Christ we have this need for structure and this need for change and this need for accountability and all those sorts of things and i i, I look at saso as as feeding into uh, so many different aspects of the work of the body of Christ through the Salvation Army um, worldwide. And it's for me, since I've been here, it's my mind has been just blown open uh, by the work you and your team do worldwide for the Salvation Army. And it just makes me very proud to know you and to be associated with uh, the humble work and the hard work you guys are doing. Um, I appreciate hearing that, and, and I feel it's a real privilege to be a part of a part of this. And it's too bad that uh, it's going to be coming to an end for me in the not too distant future. As you know, I'm pushing up towards retirement, and and uh, we'll we'll see transition and within this year. And and I'm excited for the future. What is this retirement you're talking about? Well, you know all about my friend. <laughs> Yes, because every every day your wife, I think, is giving me the countdown, yeah. <laughs> which no, it's, which it's has been. Uh, but when when you retire, it, it'll be close to forty four years doing this. Yes, yes, uh, about forty three and a half. Which which really, you know, again, hats off to both you and your wife for being uh, faithful in your officership over this year, over all these decades all the people that you have uh, touched and ministered to in the Central Territory and now worldwide. And I, I watch you when you're around my wife. We recently interviewed uh, Colonel Cindy, and you guys you guys all kind of talk in business tongue language together. <laughs> it's, very, it's kind of very exciting to see. But you're a man of integrity, and you have the good of others at heart, and I know you're working at heart of, of making sure that the legacy of this, the Sasso office continues in, in, in working to this seamless transition as you move into the blessed new life that you have of, of retirement around the corner. That's very kind of you. Very kind of you. <laughs> Jeff, is Sounds there any- well earned. Sounds well earned. I would just point out that, you know, I think of the Sauceau folks, your department, what you do with Sauceau, the travel, the dedication, the hours spent, the reaching into different cultures. And it's not always, you know, in easy spots. Nigeria is going through, you know, quite a lot of upheaval now. So, you know, it's, you're kind of on the forefront there. I think you would have a good problem. Anyone who's done a lot of international travel, uh, soon discover it's not what people imagine it to be. No, <laughs> on vacation we're not going to to, to do tours and stuff. We're we're going to some of the most difficult, challenging places in the world, and we feel blessed and privileged to be able to do that. And and God is sufficient and takes care of our needs, and and we're grateful for that. We just want to bring honor and glory to Him in our efforts. And, uh, I, I couldn't. And, yeah, and I notice none of your staff has their own Lear jets. Uh, no. You know, they're not flying their G fives. They're flying Coach. Yeah, and uh, sitting in coach, uh, trying to get to Jakarta, Indonesia, in twenty-eight hours—that's not—it's not a lot of fun. Um, but it's amazing how your biological clock could get messed up so easily. 
Yeah. I often think I, I just kind of wonder for myself if I'm going to do any more international travel. And I, you wonder when, well, what, when is, when is your department hitting the road again? Well, it's, it's still on hold, but it, it probably we're waiting to see how things continue to evolve. Of course, we want everyone to be safe and we're concerned about our people on, on the, uh, the implementation site as well. We want to make sure that they're protected. And so it's probably likely will be sometime this fall before we're able to get back to it. And it's going to have to be done very, very carefully and uh, think through it very well uh, so that we're, we're thinking of all the implications of that travel. Well, it's, it's very even convoluted going back into Jeff's home state of New Jersey. I think you have to pay people and you have to quarantine for two years. I don't know, Jeff. What- well, you have to have a, you have to have muscle around you to kind of pave the way. That's right. So you have to have I, connections to get yeah. into the inner city. You know? If if I ever want to go up to New Jersey or Rhode Island, where Elizabeth's from, I got to take my 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 hard hitting crew here with me. So. But Colonel Tom, we thank you so much for joining us and for enlightening us, inspiring us and our our listeners. Uh, to the worldwide work that you are doing, uh, just a floor below us. And I know your team, like our team, is working remotely. Some folks are in the office, some people are just working from their basements as well. But we know that everyone there is working from their heart. They're, they believe in the mission of the Salvation Army and bringing the life-changing uh, message of the gospel uh, through direct and indirect ways. So God bless you, sir, and thank you for um, the many, many years of service. I just wish, you know, I would have met you a long time ago because you are uh, just a, a joy to be with. And I, I, for one, I know will miss you and your wife when you ride off from here uh, in retirement. But thank you for all that you, you have done and will continue to do. It's not like you're on the shelf yet. No. So. Well, thank you so much for the time today and for your kind words. We appreciate it. It's a privilege to be able to do this. Well, that's going to end this episode of the Fight for Good podcast. Be sure to subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow the War Cry and Peer Magazine on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The War Cry is now available available to you free of charge at www.thewarcry.org. If you'd like a hard copy of the War Cry arriving in your mailbox, Jeff, I think it, it takes a little longer now, according to mm. the way the post office works. But we're, we're, we're still does. we're still getting the hard copies out to you, and uh, you can subscribe for a dollar a month, Elizabeth. I think I got that right this time. A dollar a month at thewarcry.org. You can subscribe there. Also, don't forget to read our peer magazine. And Jeff, we're we're up for some awards with both Warcry and Peer Magazine very soon with the EPA, right? That's right. The Evangelical Press Association does have a contest every year where they try to uh, highlight what's good in the uh, Christian press, and we are a perennial presence there. So we're we're so uh, we're so grateful for the opportunity that we have in national publications to share the message of the gospel through the War Cry and through Peer Magazine. So check it out. Give us a thumbs up on any of our social media feeds. Uh, don't give us a thumbs down. We don't like thumbs down. You can just <laughs> bypass us uh, if you give us a thumbs down. Elizabeth, what do you do with thumbs downs? What does a positive person do with thumbs downs? You just let it go. Let it go. Let it live. Let it go. Oh, I hear a song. Jeff, ready? <laughs> yeah, I think so. 
Well, until next time, thanks for listening. This has been the Fight for Good podcast. Bye for now. Subscribe to Fight for Good wherever you listen to podcasts.